If you please take your copy of the scriptures tonight and go with me over to the Gospel of Luke and chapter 11. Luke chapter 11 is where we are turning this evening. And tonight, as we come together around our Lord's table, we desire to honor the Lord Jesus Christ as our great high priest and our intercessor. He tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, as you see the passage there listed in the scriptures about his intercessory work, that he is our great high priest who has passed into the heavens. And based on that, because he is our great high priest, the writer of Hebrews appeals to us, let us hold hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. He says, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And then he makes this comment. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because we have Jesus Christ as our great high priest, as our intercessor, and as the one who shows us how to pray, you're in Luke chapter 11. Notice as you see the first words of Luke chapter 11 that they ask the Lord, Lord, could you teach us to pray? And there you have the model prayer that he gave them both there and you have it over in Matthew as well. And then he gives a number of illustrations and the illustrations here about the neighbor, there were somebody, visitors came to them, they had no bread in the house, they went next door and they were knocking on the door and saying, please, can you help me? I, I need bread. And uh, they said, look, we're, we're already lying down, you know, don't, don't bother us. And he just keeps on knocking. The point that he's driving at there in this illustration is down in verse 9. I'm going to read verses 9 through 13 with a rather, a rather startling phrase that we find in verse 13. Look, if you will, at verse 9. Jesus said, I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh Findeth, and to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you, that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask of him? Shall we pray together? Father, be glorified, I pray then, in our great high priest, our intercessor, who teaches us and gives us examples and illustrations of how to pray. As we come together this evening to honor him, Father, may we glorify you and glorify him. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Very plain in this passage, is it not, that what Jesus is appealing for is persevering prayer. Persevering prayer. But it's prayer that perseveres in pursuit of God's promise. And the promise there is 
Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks, it shall be opened unto him. There are those of you in this room who have been praying about things for years. There are very deep concerns of your heart that you've been crying out to the Lord for and asking for real help. And what the Lord is doing is he is actually in the process of answering those prayer requests. How many times have you prayed about other things and you have seen the Lord answer a prayer and then realized, oh, I should have been appealing for this other matter as well. I should have been as persevering in praying for that. But then he gives us this fascinating illustration. He says, you know, you know as a father how a father will give good gifts to his own children. And if the child is asking for bread, is the father going to say, ha, 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 and give him a stone? A good father is not going to do that. If he asks for a, a fish, will he give him a serpent instead, something with fangs on it instead? If he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? They say the scorpions of that time, they would kind of roll up and they would look a little bit like an egg. And perhaps that's what he is referring to here. And the Lord says, is he really going to do that? Is a good father going to do that? And then he makes this application. He says, you know, if a good human father knows how to give good gifts to his children, then how much more does your heavenly father know how to do that? Now, let me point out one of the startling implications of what we see in this passage. You've been praying. You've been asking the Lord. You've been asking him for provision, for nutrition for your soul. You have been asking him to give you, in essence, bread and fish. Has it occurred to you that he is giving you bread and fish? Now, if you are like many of us in the trials that we go through, the difficulties that we are experiencing, isn't it very common that you and I would say, wait a minute, this does not taste like bread and fish to me? No, indeed. I mean, this tastes more like gravel and snake. Look at, Lord, look at what I am going through. How can it be that when you look at the trials of, say, Job, or you look at the trials of Joseph in the Old Testament, or you look at the trials of the, the apostles and what they went through, how can it be that the Lord is only giving good gifts? May I point out to you that if you and I take this passage on the face of it and we take it and say, you know what, that's exactly what the Lord is doing. By faith, we are looking at the events in our lives right now and by faith we are saying he is giving us bread and fish at this moment. He is giving us bread and fish. Despite how deep our trials, no matter how great our difficulties, here's what we know. God is giving us bread and fish. You say, how can you say that? I mean, how is that even, how is that even possible that it would be that way? Well, stop to think about it this way. That if the Lord is giving us bread and fish, then everything that he is presently giving us is increasing our faith in the beloved one, in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That, my friends, is transforming. It begins with the understanding that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. That even when others mean it for evil, God means it for good. Jesus said, blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You see, what is being described here is absolutely transformational. If you look at life according to what you see, what I see with our human eyes, we say, wait a minute, (laughs) I'm telling you, this is gravel and snake. This is not bread and fish. But what the Lord is doing is he is correcting us. He is changing us. He is chastening us. He is bringing about in us what really needs to happen, and that is an appetite for what is truly righteousness. You know, he says in the Beatitudes, hunger and thirst after righteousness. You see, what the Lord is actually doing is he is giving us good gifts, and he is adjusting our appetites for what he is giving us because he is good. God is good. God is wise. He is giving us exactly what we need to be more like Jesus Christ, increasing our faith in the beloved one. Now, dear friends, if you take that to heart, it will absolutely transform your life. It will cause you to look upon the Lord in a very different way than you do. To do otherwise is to grow bitter against God most high. But this approach says, I get it. I I am going to get better. I am going to trust the Lord for what he has brought into my life, what he has taken out of my life. I'm going to trust him that he really is giving me the nutrition for my soul at this very moment, and he really is giving me bread and fish. So, Lord, whatever it takes, Lord, whatever it is that you desire to do, give me that which will strengthen my inner man. Give me the strength in the inner man that you desire me to have by giving me what you say, what you tell me is bread and fish for my soul because the Lord does know how to feed our inner men. Now, the startling phrase here is something that you saw down in verse 13 where he applies this. He says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly father Give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. This phrase, as you can well imagine, has been hotly contested across the years. You would run all the way across the spectrum to see what different people say by give him the Holy Spirit, will grant him the Holy Spirit, the the good and loving Father will do that. So let's talk about that for a few moments. What do we know from Scripture? Well, we know Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, if any man have not the Spirit of God, he is none of his, right? We know that at the moment of salvation, 
by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, Titus chapter three, verse five, we know that we are regenerated and we know that we are indwelled. Romans eight has a great deal to say about this, about the indwelling Holy Spirit. And along with Jesus Christ, that same Holy Spirit is even now interceding for us with groanings which cannot be uttered sometimes. He is interceding for us before the throne of grace. When you and I pray, we have two powerful intercessors at work before the Heavenly Father. Not only is Jesus Christ interceding for us, but the Holy Spirit is interceding for us. We know this. We know it is true. And we know that we have been baptized into the body by the Holy Spirit. We know that from 1 Corinthians. So when he talks about here, give him the Holy Spirit, what does he mean? Does he mean, you say, well, this was written in the Gospels. He's talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. It certainly seems to be more than that. It certainly seems that what he is describing here is a special outpouring of his Spirit. Now, I'll just tell you straight out, that is hotly contested by some. Some say, no, that is not the case. Others say it is very much the case. You would find that people like Martin Lloyd-Jones, whom we have a great deal of respect for, and he was a wonderful theologian, he went so far as to say that he believed there needed to be, at times, a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, careful, what did he mean by that? Was he saying that you do not have the Holy Spirit when you trust Christ? He really believed you did. But his use of terminology, and that's what's been disputed, is his his use of the term baptized with the Holy Spirit. If we dial that back a little bit and say, all right, does the Bible teach that there is a special outpouring of his Spirit? Are there times when the Lord will grant the Spirit of grace and supplication? Well, there I'm quoting, so let me go back and show you where I'm quoting from. Go back with me to the book of Zechariah just for a moment. The book of Zechariah. This is a very exciting part of biblical prophecy that we know about. We know that the Lord is going to do something very special, and he's going to do it in Israel, that Israel will be the great beneficiary of what he does. And this is predicted in Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12, almost at the very end of your Old Testament there. Look at what it says that he is going to do in the last days, in the last times. Verse 9. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem, verse 10, and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications. That's an interesting way to say that. The spirit of grace, God's favor. The spirit of supplications. They're interceding. They're crying out to the Lord. They're praying. The spirit of grace and supplications and they, shall, and they shall look on me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as in the bitterness for his firstborn. That passage in verse 10 is describing a genuine outpouring of God's Spirit that is commonly referred to as revival. And notice that the focus there is on the Christ, the one whom they have pierced. And it involves very intense mourning over sin and grieving over evil. 
That's the kind of thing that we're talking about. Now, when you go back over to Luke chapter 11, and he says here, will he not give the Holy Spirit to those that ask him? I would point out to you that men like Martin Lloyd-Jones, A.T. Pearson, D.L. Moody, R.A. Torrey, these men have said, uh, the, the last name is uh, Gordon, and I can't remember his, uh, I think it's A.J. Gordon, said the very same thing. They said, what we really need to ask for in these days is a special work of God's Spirit. Now, careful. Doesn't Jesus Christ tell us that we are salt and light? Doesn't he tell us in the Sermon on the Mount that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world? Does that speak to you of something that is just spectacular? I mean, something that's just like really earth-shaking. No, you and I use the expression all the time. You say, well, this fellow is like a, he's like a salt of the earth type person. He, and by that we mean this person's a, we, we say sometimes a steady Eddie. I mean, they're very consistent. I mean, it's just, they're, they're the same all the time. This is who they are. They're a salt of the earth type person. And the metaphors that Jesus uses there, the salt of the earth and the light of the world, does not necessarily speak of anything spectacular. But here's what has happened as believers who are salt of the earth people and people who determine, I really do want to be the light of the world. Here is what has happened in history as they have joined together to pray in concerted prayer. And what I'm specifically pointing at here is that phrase, shall he not, shall your heavenly father not give the Holy Spirit to those that ask him, the way that has been applied in recent years in both the British Isles and here in the United States is, there have been people just like you and me in situations, by the way, that are worse than our society is in right now. And what they did was they joined together to pray and say, let us ask for a moving work of God's Holy Spirit. Let me give you some examples. Here's what Dwight Martin Lloyd-Jones or David Martin Lloyd-Jones said in the 1960s. This is about Britain. We are not only confronted by materialism, worldliness, indifference, hardness, and callousness. Does that sound familiar? But we are also hearing more and more about certain manifestations of the powers of evil and the reality of evil spirits. It is not merely sin that is constituting a problem in this country today. There is a recrudescence, that's a word that means a reviving, a reviving of black magic and the devil worship and the powers of darkness, as well as drug taking and some of the things it leads to. This is why I believe that we are in urgent need of some manifestation, some demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, you know what is going on in Findlay this weekend. You've been reading about it in your papers. Wouldn't you say that this is the kind of thing that Martin Lloyd-Jones was referring to, that there's some really, really interesting parallels? There are some really interesting parallels. So what does it mean when you talk about this special outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Well, here's the way the Apostle Paul put it. In fact, if you'd like, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 just for a moment because there the Apostle Paul, you can tell that he is pointing at something in particular. And listen to what he says. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. The Apostle Paul, laboring there in Corinth, a church that had so many difficulties, it was so shallow and so carnal, he said, 
For I determined not to know anything among you. This is 1 Corinthians 2, verses 2 through 4. I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Here's what Paul says about himself. And I was with, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, that is, with a lot of human rhetoric, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I don't believe I have ever understood verse 3 like I understand it now. Over the last two years, I have come to understand weakness and fear and much trembling in a way that had never even dawned on me before. But if this is what the Lord is doing, if he is working in all of us so that people can see that it's not the, the, the rhetoric of men, it's, it's, not, it's not human wisdom that we're talking about, but a genuine demonstration of the spirit and power that I would ask you this question. Do you believe that is a powerful persuader? Do you believe that a special outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we might cry out to the Lord for would actually be the persuader that is so necessary in these days when we are faced with so much evil? Here's what J. Edwin Orr wrote, and this is the kind of thing that makes me realize this is exactly where we are as a society. He wrote, not many people realize that in the wake of the American Revolution, this is following 1776 to 1781, there was a moral slump. Drunkenness became epidemic. Out of a population of 5,300,000 were confirmed drunkards. They were burying 15,000 of them each year. Profanity was of the most shocking kind. For the first time in the history of the American settlement, women were afraid to go out at night for fear of assault. Bank robberies were a daily occurrence. The Chief Justice of the United States, John Marshall, wrote to the Bishop of Virginia, whose name was James Madison. Here's what what John Marshall, the Chief Justice of the United States, wrote. He said, the church was too far gone to ever be redeemed. Voltaire, the noted French revolutionist and atheist, Voltaire and Thomas Paine, who was a deist, echoed, Christianity will be forgotten in 30 years. But here's actually what happened. As God's people began to covenant together to pray, the Lord did something absolutely amazing in the early 1800s. Now, A.T. Pearson, who would have written 60, 70 years after that, right right around the time of the Civil War, if I remember correctly, here's what A.T. Pearson wrote. There has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin with united prayer. Men such as John Erskine, Jonathan Edwards, I think would be a very familiar name to you, they explicitly called upon God's people to pray. And in answer to those seasons of prevailing prayer, the Lord sent remarkable national revival. One of them occurred down here in Kentucky. Kentucky at the time was the the western lands of the south. Remember that what, what was going on there is you had the Revolutionary War, 
men in the South came back to their farms. They found their farms and their finances in shambles. The fences were broken down, and they said, what's the use? And they began to look toward the millions of virgin acres that were to the West, by the way, coming all the way up here into Ohio. And they began to say, look, this is the right time to go west. Let's go west and let's, let's take some of that land. And by the way, free trade was really breaking out and there was a real possibility that someone could get very wealthy very quickly. And so they recognized what was going on there and the churches were falling apart because so many people were leaving and rushing to the west. Down here in Kentucky... They began to recognize what was going on, and so they began to have some camp meetings. Now, there was one Presbyterian evangelist. His name was James McGrady. By the way, his claim to fame was he was so ugly that he drew attention to himself. Just imagine if that's what everybody thought about you. He was so ugly that he drew attention to himself. But those who wrote the history said, but the beauty of the Lord was upon that man, ugly though he may be. When he began to minister, they they said it was just the beauty of the Lord that was so evident upon him. James McGrady was trying to pastor three sparse churches as he rode, almost like the Wesleys did, rode around the campgrounds and rode from place to place. And here's what James McGrady encouraged his people to do. The few steadfast praying Christians were greatly alarmed. And so during the winter, McGrady and his sparse congregations adopted the following covenant. They, they set out this covenant between these three congregations that were apart from each other. They took this following covenant and they bound themselves to pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now bear in mind, this is a Presbyterian, someone probably who had just really excellent theology, but you see what he's pointing to? He's pointing to the very verse that we have open to us tonight. Shall God not give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? So they bound themselves together to pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He wrote, we feel encouraged to unite our supplications to a prayer hearing God for the outpouring of his spirit, that his people may be quickened and comforted, and that our children and sinners generally may be converted. Therefore, we bind ourselves to observe the third Saturday of each month for one year as a day of fasting and prayer for the conversion of sinners in Logan County and throughout the world. Now, let me just stop to ask you for a moment. If it meant that God would send a great awakening, that he would send a special outpouring of his spirit, in which Christians could be comforted and gain assurance and steadfastness and boldness and sinners would be converted, would it be worth it to you to give 12 days out of the year? That's what they did. They gave the third Saturday of each month for a year and said, we will devote ourselves to prayer and fasting. Many of these were farmers. Undoubtedly, there were chores that had to be taken care of. But they gave themselves over to prayer and fasting and said, Lord, would you not give a special outpouring of your spirit? And that, my friends, is exactly what the Lord did. 
McGrady asked them not only to give the third Saturday of the month, and they bound themselves together to do that, he also asked that they would spend one half hour every Saturday evening and beginning at the setting of the sun and one half hour every Sunday morning at the rising of the sun, pleading with God to, in his word, revive his words. Remember what Jesus said, the words that I give unto you, they are spirit and they are life. That's exactly what those people gathered together to covenant together to do. And that's exactly what happened. July of 1798, the Lord poured out his spirit in a remarkable manner. And there was a heartening surge in spiritual spirituality. The first Sunday of September, the people of the Muddy River Congregation were similarly moved. And soon this awakening spread across the Red River Congregation and throughout the entire region. There was one Baptist historian of the time, his name was David Barrow, and he toured Kentucky. And when he got back, he wrote this letter. He said, all the denominations that I've seen are the most prominent denominations in Kentucky are the deist, the nothing Arians, and the anything Arians. He said, "It it is a place that is just absolutely corrupt. At the height of this revival, Another man toured that very same area, very same areas where David Barrow, uh, David Barrow had been. And he wrote back to a man, and we have the letter that he wrote to Archibald Alexander, and here's what he said. He said, Kentucky is the most moral place on the face of the earth. Dear friends, that's what God could do by his Holy Spirit. That is, if you and I were to ask for a moving of God's spirit that would break us, that would humble us. A humble and contrite heart the Lord will not despise. The Lord may be pleased to grant us that. In the pastor's meeting that we had on Thursday, a number of pastors from here locally, from various denominations, one of the pastors asked this question. He said, all right, we're looking at what's going on here in Ohio. There's the talk of moving the way to change the Constitution and the amending the Constitution, move it to 60%, okay? He said, I have a question for you all. He said, what happens when those who want to change the Constitution or those who are for abortion and a whole bunch of other things, what happens when they're more than 60%? What do we do then? And one of the men said, "Um, we're talking about the return of Christ. And I said, if I may, Can I point out something to you? Whether it was the great awakening that occurred under Jonathan Edwards or the great awakening that occurred on those Kentucky campgrounds or the 1857 prayer revival of Jeremiah Lanfear when he began to pray and that prayer meeting spread all the way across New York, Philadelphia, Boston. It came all the way down here into Ohio, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Detroit. It had to go right through this area. A million people trusted Christ in 1857. And here's why. People began to pray. They began to cry out to the Lord. I'm raising the question with you in that last phrase in verse 13 when he says, How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Would you be willing... In the words of Zechariah 12 and verse 10, would you be willing to pray that the Lord would pour out the spirit of grace and supplications 
and they shall look on him whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him. We have been working together with uh, special speakers who were here for 10-day meetings many years ago. Many of you remember when Les Ololai was here in the congregation. They have agreed to come for an eight-day meeting, November 5 through 12 of this, this coming November. Would you be willing to set aside some time to pray and fast and cry out to the Lord to see if he would not do the very same great work here, not only in Calvary Baptist Church, but in Cornerstone Baptist Church and Trinity Baptist Church and Maranatha Bible Church. It represented here the other day, the Catalyst Church was here uh, with us. Uh, Gateway Church was here. I'm, I'm leaving people out. First Baptist, Pastor Maskell was here with us. Someone from Bible Fellowship was here. Could it not be that this is the right time? When you see what is happening in our society, wouldn't this be the right time for God's people to say, Lord, we need your Holy Spirit. We need your Holy Spirit to be true Christians who are not hypocrites. We need your Holy Spirit to be genuine. We need your Holy Spirit to be what we want others to become, that by God's grace, he could transform us. When you look at the history of Britain and of the United States, by all measures, it ought to be just like France. It ought to be just like the French Revolution with all of its atheism. What made it different? What made it different was that there were people of God in the British Isles and in America who got serious about this matter of praying and began to cry out to the Lord that he would send his Holy Spirit. Tonight, what we are doing is we are magnifying Christ as our great high priest, as our intercessor. Our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, said that when he went to heaven, he would pray the Father and he would send us the Holy Spirit. And even now, the Holy Spirit is at work in all of us. Jesus Christ said, have salt in yourselves and you will be at peace one with another. Dear friends, wouldn't now be the right time for you and me to pray for our congregation and our families and our friends and for those around us who do not know the Lord and are going into eternity without Jesus Christ to be in the place called hell and the lake of fire forever, wouldn't now be the right time for you and me to covenant together to pray? to take the third Saturday of the month, to, to take the 30 minutes at, at sundown on Saturdays and the first 30 minutes on Sunday morning to pray and ask the Lord, Lord, would you give us the demonstration of your spirit and power that no man would be magnified, no person would be glorified, that Jesus alone, that God the Father would be glorified, wouldn't now be the right time for you and me to say, enough. Enough of the carnality, enough of the sensuality, enough of the, the paganism that we are seeing in our society. Lord, we need you. Just before we pray, I'll leave this question with you.
When you think about those violent storms that were pounding on that ship in the Mediterranean, and you ask, why did those waves come? Was it because of the paganism of the sailors who were in the boat? Or was it because of the disobedience of the prophet Jonah? Jonah acknowledged in Jonah chapter 1, it's me. That's what's happening here. Dear friends, what if these storms in our society and the squalls that we are facing, whether they be financial or moral or social, what if it's because of us and our disobedience? Now, here's the hopeful part. We know how to draw near to God, don't we? We know how to draw near to him. If what's happening here is because of us and our disobedience, we know how to draw near to God. And that's exactly what we want to do as we partake of the Lord's table tonight. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you're walking in obedience to him, we encourage you to enjoy this celebration with us. As we think about our precious Lord, if you go forward in your Bibles, 11 chapters to Luke chapter 22, you can see exactly what we are acting upon here as we partake of the Lord's table tonight. Luke chapter 22 tells us, beginning in verse 15, Jesus said to his disciples, with desire, I have desired. That's a Hebraism that's expressed there. The way the way you say something emphatically in Hebrew is you say, desiring I desired. And so earnestly he is desiring here. With desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And with that in verse 17, he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave unto them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. And likewise, also taking the cup said, this cup is the new Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Tonight we have talked about bread and fish. Are our spiritual taste buds, are our appetites adjusted to know that whatever it is he is bringing into our lives right now, it's bread and fish. It's bread and fish. It's essential for our spiritual strength. It's bread and fish that he's giving us. If we know that and we know that anything that increases our faith in the beloved one is indeed bread and fish. That when you and I come together around the Lord's table tonight and we partake of the bread, the bread that signifies the crucified body of Jesus Christ who suffered for us and all those who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If we're partaking of that tonight and saying, Lord, this is what I really want. 
this is how we do what we do in remembrance of him. And if we partake of the cup to realize he spilled his blood on Calvary's cross for us. God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Tonight we come to honor him and with a new understanding saying, Lord, whatever it is that you want to bring into my life, I will take it as bread and fish, Lord. I will take it as that which will grow me up into Jesus Christ. And tonight, I desire to honor you. If you can enter into the celebration that way, we encourage you to be part of our celebration this evening. We bow our heads together, please. I'm going to ask the gentleman who will be serving tonight, if you would please make your way forward at this time. What we'd like to do for you for the next few moments is... We'd like to give you the opportunity to just search your soul, to adjust your spiritual taste buds, to ask if there is any bitterness toward the Lord that what you may have been thinking was was gravel and snake is actually indeed exactly what the Lord told us. It is bread and fish. That whatever the Lord is bringing into your life right now is actually for your good and for God's glory. I encourage you then as I pray and then our musician will play for a few quiet moments that you take the time to search your own soul. And then I would appeal to you, would you be willing to enter into a covenant to fast and pray on various occasions. Those special meetings in November. We have elections and ballot initiatives that are very important going on here in Ohio. Would you be willing to cry out to the Lord and ask him to give us his Holy Spirit? Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to reflect on this passage and the way that so many have used this passage wisely and well across the years. Lord, you answered them. We're asking tonight, Lord, that you would give us the Holy Spirit. Lord, give us the demonstration of the Spirit and power. There are those of us in this room who have children and grandchildren who are longing for their children and their grandchildren to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In the meantime, Lord, we earnestly desire to be salt of the earth and light of the world people who are pressing on steadily every day, but steadily praying that you indeed would do a mighty work, dear Heavenly Father. Be glorified as we partake of the Lord's table tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.